Okay, we're on part three of a series we've been doing on called uh, Cultivating a Culture of Prayer. And uh, the first two weeks, what we dealt with were the individual and community implications and responsibilities uh, as it relates to Jesus' statement about my house shall be called a house of prayer. We talked about what that means for the individual, what that means for a community to actually live that reality out. And then last week, we talked about uh, what the implications are in a global way. What does that mean in terms of the big picture? What, what are God's plans and purposes uh, as it relates to him establishing a culture of prayer or his house being called a house of prayer? What does that mean for the big picture? And we found out that it's uh, clear in Scripture that the Lord is going to raise up and is raising up in, in our hour. We know that's true. We're seeing it. But in the Bible, it's clear that the Lord is going to raise up a global prayer movement that's going to uh, catapult, it's going to propel the church at the end of the age, it's going to release a great harvest of Gentile souls unto the full salvation of Israel and the return of the Lord Jesus to the planet. Those things are spelled out because God has great zeal, he says, for Zion. And, and it's, it's this, it's that Israel would be saved, that all Israel would be saved, but secondarily, or I should say primarily, the second thing would be that Jesus is going to come and rule and reign on the earth in Israel. And so we talked about those, those points and how that, the issue of the house of prayer is central to those things. So we, the, the implications as it relates to the individual, the community, and then the global issues, the, the big picture stuff. Today, I just want to talk more about the philosophy of what this is when we say culture of prayer. What I mean is the paradigm. What is the necessary paradigm that the church has to have uh, in order to embrace a culture of prayer, in order for a culture of prayer to be cultivated? I'm realizing as I was talking uh, the last couple of weeks that I'm saying certain ideas and um, those ideas have probably been worked in me over the last you know, five to ten years uh, but they might be completely new ideas for people. And the reason why is uh, much of our prevailing paradigm in the church, uh, I, don't, I don't really know of very many at all, especially in the West, that come from a, a culture of prayer paradigm. Uh, we have uh, all sorts of other identifiers that, um, that would define our culture in the church but I'm not sure that prayer is, is really the main thing that's defined us, by and large, uh, throughout the last uh, decades. And so what I'm realizing is that uh, we all come from different backgrounds, and, and virtually none of us come from a background that has espoused a culture of prayer. And so our paradigms are rooted in other, other uh, cultures. And so I just, today I felt the need, and I'm, I'm also cognizant of those that are listening to us on the internet, there's... Thousands that listen to us on the internet on a weekly basis, many leaders. And I'm, I'm just cognizant of the need to deal with the paradigm uh, that we're carrying that I think it, if, if it's not uh, uh, a culture of prayer paradigm, it's a culture of something else. And, and whatever it is that's a, the prevailing paradigm in our minds, that's going to war against us embracing a culture of prayer. We can say the words, culture of prayer, it sounds nice, kind of rolls off the tongue, it's got a nice little 
flavor to it. But unless something shifts uh, in, our, in our mindset, our, our, our philosophy of, of how we go about this, uh, to practice this thing, it's really, we're going we're gonna to talk culture of prayer and live culture of whatever we're used to. Am I making sense? And so I just want to deal with the paradigms that um, exist. And I just want to read a few verses. They'll, they'll all come up on your screen. I want to just look at a few phrases from Jesus, a few phrases from Paul, and then I want to start moving through this concept of culture and what's necessary, in, uh, what's necessary for us to shift culture. Culture is what has to be shifted. And I'm just, I'm just aware of this point, you know, you may not recognize this, but we are, I mean, the church, we're in the middle of a reformation. There is a global reformation taking place in the church. And that reformation is towards a culture of prayer. And to me, the biggest indicator isn't the building up of many houses of prayer. That's great. But that wouldn't be uh, in and of itself enough to indicate a shift or a reformation in culture. There's been many different trends through the church and styles of, of worship and, and doing church and ministry, you know, seeker sensitive, the different styles of, of church. So the, the advent of the building of the houses of prayer wouldn't be enough to, to, to mark a shift in culture. But this idea, I think, does. And it's that the major missions organizations in the earth, I'm talking about the ones that have, you know, 10 and 20,000 missionaries on the field, that they're coming together with a united focus and they're agreeing that there must be a global symphony of prayer, that a culture of prayer must be embraced by their missions organizations. Now, ordinarily, you know, you have the evangelism guys and the prayer guys, and they're sort of fighting each other from the other end of the spectrum. But now what we're seeing, and this is what I believe is the key marker to this reformation, is that the evangelism guys or the missions guys and the prayer guys are coming together, and there's a convergence happening that's marking a reformation in the way that we do everything. It's going to affect not only our missions, but our ecclesiology, the way we think of church. And so th- these are important things. And, and the fact that you and I are living at a time where uh, an organization like YWAM or Campus Crusade for Christ, uh, who have thousands and thousands of missionaries on the field, that A, they believe that they can see the, the gospel mandate to the nations fulfilled in this generation, but B, that they believe it's going to happen, yes, through through missionaries on the ground, but through also houses of prayer raised up throughout the nations. The idea that those things are happening in our, in our day, in our time, that is un, unbelievable, un, unprecedented. But believe it, because it's what's going on. And so, uh, to me, the fact that the missions organizations are embracing uh, the concepts of a culture of prayer as, as uh, normative for them, and we're just at the beginning of these ideas. Uh, but that, that, the fact that that's happening, that, that to me marks an a unusual shift in the church. It's a, it's a, a reformation, a, a reformative style of shift. 
So I just wanted to mark that and make a point of that. Now, let's just look at these few phrases from the scriptures from Jesus and Paul. And just let's just let these things kind of simmer in our hearts. Luke 18, verse 1, Jesus speaking. He says, this is, then he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. Luke 21, verse 36, Jesus, I'm just taking the phrase. He says, watch therefore and pray always. Matthew 21, 13, we know it. We've been on it for a few weeks now. Jesus said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer. Now, it's important when I, that you understand when I'm saying house of prayer, I'm trying to say it in the context that Jesus is saying it. When I'm saying house of prayer, I'm not saying IHOP specifically. We have a very narrow mandate, and that's to have a night and day, 24-7, worship-led reality of prayer as the centerpiece of a, of a beachhead that God is raising up in this city. I don't believe that the IHOP model is the primary model for church planning in the next decade. I believe more of IHOP as a, as a, uh, uh, a filling station, more of a missions-based idea that people can come and get pricked in their hearts and, and get inspired. But the, the, the idea here is that Jesus says house of prayer, and he's talking about the culture that pervades the people of God. They're known as a praying people. That's huge. So he says, let's pray always. Men always ought to pray, and my house should be called a house of prayer. Now, what's Paul say about it? Colossians 4.2. He says, devote yourselves to prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5, probably the one we know the most. Pray without ceasing. How many has ever heard pray without ceasing? Just let me get a show of hands. Virtually everybody. I'm not going to do a show of hands on the next one, but do we pray without ceasing, really? I just think that there's actually revelation in that phrase. Well, I know it. If it's, if it's something the scripture is calling us to, but it's not something that we're practicing, in between the call to pray without ceasing and our lack of practice of it, there's revelation in there to get us over to actually living what the scripture commissions us to do. Isn't that right? And so there, these thoughts about prayer, we've got to go ahead and allow them to simmer in our hearts and we've got to look at them face to face. For a long time, I, I lived reading verses and if I didn't quite get it, I'd just go, well, I don't know, put it on the shelf. I remember for a long time reading the Sermon on the Mountain and, and Jesus, be holy as I'm holy and going, well, he doesn't really mean holy as he is holy. He means try my best. And then you go back and you read it. goes, no, it's as holy as he is holy. Huh. And you keep reading and go, yeah, I don't think he was just saying try my best. <laughs> I think he was actually calling me to holiness, <laughs> possessed by the holiness of God. And so often at time, times we'll read uh, scriptures that sort of set a high bar out there and we go, yeah, it probably doesn't really mean that. It probably really means this. And we kind of rationalize our way into a, a lower bar, you know, a, a lower concept of it. Devote yourself to prayer. Pray without ceasing. Well, we know you can't be talking all the time. He's not talking about that. He's talking about something else. He's talking about a life that is prayer. A life that is prayer. Pray without ceasing. Ephesians 6.18, Paul said, 
Pray always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. So these thoughts, they set for us a New Testament standard from the mouth of Jesus, from the mouth of Paul. A New Testament standard that's talking about prayer as the continual practice. And if something is a continual practice of the believers, that is, beloved, the culture of believers. And so that's what I want to deal with is this issue of our our mentality on how we go about cultivating this culture. Now, I looked up the word culture because I I know what it means. And and in my, you know, in my own definition, it's just the feeling you get when you're around a group of people, you know, that the main feeling of that crew. I'm a feeler. I define things by how I feel things. Uh, But the main feeling you get, that doesn't give us any kind of tactile understanding of what culture is. So I look it up and essentially the, the, the different dictionaries give us three features that define culture. There's three features that define culture. They're the governing attitudes, beliefs, and behaviors of any social group. Now just think about that for a minute. It's the attitudes the beliefs, and the behavior. So it's, it's what we think and feel about it, our, our mentality towards it, our beliefs, what we actually believe about those things, and then our behaviors, our practices, what we actually do about it. That's going to define the culture of any social group. What they think, what they believe, and how they act. That defines the culture. And so there's a lot of different facets to that, And so when we think and we're saying this term culture of prayer, we're dealing with those three features primarily. We're dealing with the way people think about prayer, what they believe about prayer, and how they practice prayer. That equals whether or not it's a prayer culture or not, how how we do this. So whatever we're primarily thinking about, believing, and practicing in our churches is going to define our cultures. Does that make sense? I'm just going to kind of teach through these thoughts these are thoughts that I, I take for granted, thoughts that I, I kind of operate from, but I think it's important to give definition to them so that we're all on the same page when we're talking about this. And we need, beloved, we need a shift in our paradigm. I'm so aware of how we can use culture of prayer language. We can, we can have all the right things to say. We can know all the verses, but... Unless this thing transcends into the actual behaviors of the people, from the mentalities to the beliefs to the behaviors, we haven't changed culture. It's the idea that when you have values, you know, you put core values, if you're establishing an organization, you put the core values up or, or you write them on a paper and you say, these are our values. But, you know, you don't have a value system, really, if your values are only in writing and they're not in actuality. Values that are not practiced are only good ideas. And uh, one of the chief things the Lord continues to minister to me about in kindness is how I declare Christian worldview values, but then he calls me to account on what I actually live. The behavioral practices ultimately are going to be the bottom line for what our culture is, what, 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 what culture we're of. So it's mentality, beliefs, 
and actions, mentality, beliefs, and behaviors. And so we've got to look at our mentalities, beliefs, and behaviors in regard to prayer. Now, here's the thing. I want to, here's what I want to do. I want to work us through prevailing mentalities, and then I want to take us through what should be like the, the proper mentalities, the, the mentalities that are going to help to motivate a culture of prayer. Does that make sense? I want to give us the prevailing ideas and, and the, the prevailing culture, and then I want to work us through what a, a culture of prayer would look like. So in our prevailing church culture, the prevailing mentality in our church culture. I think most of the church agrees prayer is important. I think that's, that's a given. You can walk into any church and go, yeah, we got to pray. And I mean, virtually everybody will go, amen. I mean, I, I've never been to a church where we say, hey, we got to pray. And everybody goes, boo, prayer's stupid. We think prayer's dumb. I've ne- never been to a church that doesn't agree that prayer is important. Now, there's a distance between agreeing that it's important and actually doing it. And uh, I remember when I first was having conversations about planning a house of prayer with Mike Bickle, he said, you know, everybody is going to tell you they love what you're doing. He goes, but let me just help you. He goes, let me just help you. He goes, they're all going to high-five you. He goes, a bunch of people will show up to your, your first rally and, and pastors and leaders and all sorts of church people from all over the city. Everybody's going to be excited about 24-7 prayer. He goes, but just mark my words, when you actually show up to do prayer, he goes, you'll have five people there. I go, oh, not me. I, I got lots of relationships in the city and we got a lot of momentum. I got a mailing list. and Yeah, we got this thing. I mean, we're going to have hundreds. He goes, I'm telling you, everybody will high five, but you'll be, you'll be shocked about how many actually show up. He goes, he goes, just be okay with that because everybody loves the idea of prayer, but almost nobody does it. I went, okay, I, you're probably wrong, but okay. This is me being dumb. And that was it. I mean, we had, we had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people show up in the early days to rallies and conferences. We had a conference, a thousand people showed up before even planted IHOP. And, uh, and uh, we had trainings and, I mean, just really thousands of people came through our doors. And when we first got started, we had 40 people that wanted to actually do this thing. I mean, we, got, we went through thousands to get 40. And so, uh, and, and then that, and so 40 in a, you know, ceaseless prayer kind of environment translated to a lot of prayer meetings with two people. You know, the guy up there on the platform slugging it away and the one guy sitting out there in the chair having to endure him slugging it away. You know, I mean, we just, a lot of prayer meetings like that. A lot of people ask, why do you have earplugs? Let the reader understand. We had some seriously rough prayer sets for a long time. And we're so fortunate now that so many of our singers and musicians have grown and are just, just tremendous. I mean, we're just so blessed. Uh, but I mean, like, just to put it in perspective for you, I was leading worship once upon a time. So, <clears throat> Lord, I lift your name on high. 
I mean, so it's right. Everybody loves the idea of it. Everybody thinks prayer is important. Uh, several years ago, a, 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 a study came out. Pastors and leaders, and they asked, what is one of the key needs of our church? And the, like the highest percentage, like 90%, uh, talking about the church in the West, 90% of pastors and leaders said, we need revival. It was a really high, high percentage. And then uh, they said, how much of your bottom line, of your budget, do you put into prayer for revival? And it was like, 0.1%. I mean, almost nobody putting any money into it, but everybody agreeing that it's the greatest need that we have. And so it kind of gives you the, the sensation of where we're at in our mentality currently. We, we agree that prayer is important, but we don't actually go for it. We don't actually support it. So the belief then that is developed off of that style of a mentality that prayer is important, but we're not actually doing it, uh, is that... Most churches see prayer primarily as a means to an end. In other words, prayer is something you do to get God to do something. And that seems to be the primary way that we approach prayer. And and, and so um, when we think of prayer as sort of this, it's kind of like the little kid that has to do his chores so he gets his uh, allowance. When we approach prayer as kind of the, you know, I've got to take out the garbage, so to speak, so that I can get my $2. That, that creates a, 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 a cultural feeling about prayer that is specifically an event-oriented, an event-oriented activity by which we're trying to get God to do something. Most, most of the church approaches prayer in that way. They approach it that way in their personal lives, and they approach it that way in their corporate community lives. I pray so I can get God to move. I pray to get something from God. I check it off as the checkbox of my devotional life. This is how I do. I get up and and I do my devotion so God will bless my day. And I understand that. I mean, obviously, there's going to be no blessing on your day if you're not connecting with God. But I don't think that was actually what the Lord was shooting for when he was saying, my house should be called a house of prayer. Pray always. Paul was saying pray without ceasing. I don't think he was thinking about an event-based deal that you show up to, even if it's your own quiet time. So when we have those sort of uh, beliefs, what ends up happening is it translates to affecting our behavior and our practice of prayer. And so then what really happens is we pray. This is how it translates. We pray with that style mentality. We're praying as a, as a means to an end. And, and so what we're doing is we're praying as an, an add-on to the real work. We look at the real work being real ministry or, or whatever, you know, soul winning or, or whatever. And prayer is simply a little salt that we kind of sprinkle on the real work. And, and so then this event-based prayer mentality leads us to making prayer a side issue, something we're doing to get God to perform. It's an add-on to the real thing. And so basically, if you have an outreach, you pray 30 minutes beforehand. 
Or as a famous missions organization said, you pray on the way. And, and so what it ends up happening is it relegates prayer over to being the side thing. And then this is the way the behavior has now become mostly in the church is that prayer is something practiced by a few in a side meeting and they're carrying the prayer burden for the ministry. We call those people intercessors. I want to propose, this is a little bit radical, that that's not right. I want to propose that is not even close to what God intended for the church to be. He didn't intend for the church and the prayer burden of all of the kingdom of priests to be carried by three people in some side room. That wasn't the point. Nor was it ever the point that we're supposed to pray on the way or pray as a little salt to add to the real work. But this has become our culture, beloved. This has become our mentality, our belief, and our practices, our behaviors. And this is the the outflow of our culture. So then here's what happens. If you get somebody that wants to pray a lot, they're seen as lazy or a little funny or weird because they're trying to pray more than just the assigned prayer meeting. Am I making any sense yet? Does this sound familiar? And so, here's what it's led to. I'm just going to say some, whatever, just let the chips fall where they may. We have become largely ineffective and powerless in our ministry efforts and our overall influence upon society. Because we have prayed as a secondary effort rather than as a foundational lifestyle that governs the entire church. We are primarily ineffective in influencing culture because we don't pray. Most of us don't pray. We leave that to some real quote-unquote intercessors. The scripture never identifies a few as the anointed prayer people and everybody else does the real work. And so we're powerless We don't have signs and wonders, you know, the way that the Bible offers them to us. We don't have influence on culture and society. And so the reformation that's taking place, it's something we must have. We must have a reformation on church culture. We've got to have a completely uh, different reality that moves from an event-based program-based culture to a prayer-based culture so that the church can become the house of prayer that Jesus declared she would be. Ultimately, the house of prayer is a cultural statement that enables the church to fulfill the commission and mandate that Jesus gave her, which is discipling the nations. I promise you, I promise you, there will be no discipling of the nations without the people of God being a house of prayer. Those two are not in opposition, they're in sync. One is required for the other one to happen. You can't get disciple the nations unless you're a house of prayer. 
And again, when I say house of prayer, I don't mean IHOP. I mean a people living with a culture of prayer as the foundation. Is it any wonder that we lack influence? We don't have spiritual power because we haven't connected in the spirit. Is it any wonder that we're powerless? We're powerless because we're primarily prayerless. I'm not trying to point a finger. I'm just trying to state the obvious, guys. Somebody's got to say it. You know, you don't, you don't tend to, in the moment, appreciate the guy that says, hey, man, your zipper's down. But, dude, you know, you really don't want to walk around awkward like that. Somebody's got to say stuff that goes, hey, let's get this thing cleaned up. And the church has got to have a reformation in her mentality so that we can actually become what Jesus dreamed us to be, the ecclesia of God, the gathering place of the community of the kingdom in operation on the earth, bringing the anointing and the power of the kingdom in manifestation in this place. The ecclesia was a sent out group that was supposed to bring the culture and the practices and the beliefs and the power of the kingdom that they came from into the new kingdom. It was the, it was the primary word that Rome used when they were, when they were colonizing a new area. They, they sent the ecclesia there to, to establish a, a little Roman empire in that new place. They're bringing the culture and, and, and the values and, and the, the authority of that kingdom in those places. The ecclesia, that's the name for church. We're supposed to be a people that are bringing the authority, the values, and the power of the kingdom into the earth, wherever we are. And I tell you, it will not happen without a real reality of prayer flowing as the foundational culture for the people of God. So I just, this morning, I just got provoked about how the the mentality of so many uh, fathers of the faith wasn't this event-based prayer mentality. It was a a real house of prayer cultural kind of mentality. And so I, I just, I read, I was reading all these quotes and I just said, you know what, I'm just, I'm just gonna read some quotes from some guys. And, and many of these were top thinkers and preachers and ministers. Some of them are people, people never heard of, but they understood a few things. I just want to read a few quotes on prayer as an essential culture. A.J. Gordon said, You can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you can never do more than pray until you have prayed. I love that one. A guy named M.E. Andros, little-known brother, was never ordained, but he influenced the church with his writings for years in the 1800s. There is no other activity in life so important as that of prayer. Every other activity depends on prayer. Every other activity depends on prayer. Oswald Chambers, prayer does not fit us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. Andrew Murray, time spent in prayer will yield more than that given to work. Prayer alone gives work its worth and its success. 
Prayer opens the way for God himself to do his work in us and through us. Let our chief work as God's messengers be intercession. In it, we secure the presence and power of God to go with us. R.A. Tory. We are too busy to pray, and so we are too busy to have power. <laughs> you feel that one? We are too busy to pray, so we're too busy to have power. We have a great deal of activity, but we accomplish little. Many services, but few conversions. Much machinery, but few results. Edward Payson, praying Payson. That's what he was known as. Prayer is the first thing, the second thing, the third thing necessary to a minister. Pray then, my dear brother. Pray, pray, pray. Fenelon. Of all the duties enjoined by Christianity, none is more essential and yet more neglected than prayer. And John Chrysostom, prayer is the root, the fountain, the mother of a thousand blessings. Beloved, these men of old, they understood something. That prayer isn't some little event that we do on the side. Prayer is the issue. Prayer is the foundational culture. Prayer is the foundational practice prescribed by the Lord for the life of the church. So then what does it look like? What does a culture of prayer look like? What are, what are the changes that have to take place in our paradigm, in our, in our mentalities, and in our beliefs, and in our behaviors? How do we have to change so that culture changes? You understand, if we're changing culture, we've got to change our mentality, our beliefs, and our behaviors. That, that's a huge order. So what's the, uh, what's the mentality? What's the mentality that we have to change to? We have to move from seeing prayer as important to seeing it as essential. We've got to see prayer as an imperative that cannot be neglected. We've gotten to see it as the very lifeblood of our lives. I like to say it this way. We've got to see prayer as air. It's as essential as breathing. If you don't breathe, you don't live. If you don't pray, you don't live. The idea that we can establish and, and, and accomplish anything in the kingdom that has any power in it or establish or accomplish anything of, of kingdom importance without prayer, that is a chiefly humanistic idea. Come on now. It's humanism to think we can do anything for God without God. That's humanism. Yet we spend tons of time planning, organizing, working, all this stuff, doing all this stuff, we go over here with three little old ladies who've been faithful for 50 years to throw a little prayer our direction. And, and, and we imagine that somehow all this work, that's how we get things done of kingdom effect. And I want to say it this way. Nothing of kingdom effect has ever been accomplished without it first being born in prayer. And that's why Jesus said, ask Pray this way, kingdom come, will of God be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
The will of God is established and the kingdom is established on earth through this vehicle. People in agreement with God asking God for the kingdom to be released. That's how it works. That's it. I know this sounds really simple, but we are so far off of this idea. We've got got to have like a real correction. So prayer can't just be something that we see as, you know, something that's important. It's got to be seen as something that we die without. It's not something that's just, you know, one of five other important issues. It's got to be the foundational imperative that's mandatory for every community of believers. Prayer foundational imperative that's mandatory for every community of believers. I tell you, this is where it's going. My house shall be called a house of prayer is a prophecy. It's a prophecy. This is where it's going. The church will be a house of prayer before it's all over. There's a massive Course correction coming. Not to the church throughout the earth. The course correction is primarily to the church in the West and westernized societies. A few more quotes. I just, uh, I got so stirred by these guys. John Wesley, God does nothing except in response to believing prayer. God does nothing except in response to believing prayer. John Wesley. Here you go. S.D. Gordon. The greatest thing anyone can do for God or man is pray. Ian Bounds, God shapes the world by prayer. The more prayer there is in the world, the better the world will be. This is it, beloved. Prayer is an essential. Prayer cannot be something overlooked. Prayer can't be simply seen as something that's important with the five other or ten other Uh, important things. Prayer is the foundational imperative that's mandatory. It's the mandatory foundation of the community of believers. If we will embrace that, it will change our beliefs and our behaviors. Here's the challenge. Most of the time, you can go and you can talk to to churches and and leaders and, and, and believers and you say, hey, so is prayer important? Of course. Is it in your value system? Is it in your five things? Is it in your, you know what I mean? Is it, is it one of your 10 directives? Is it in your top five core values? Where is it? I, I mean, I, I'm not trying to like nail people, but let's just be real. Go and look. It won't be there. By and large, most of the time, it's not there. We've got to shift that. We've got to change that. That's got to change in the church. The Lord is going to change that. He's going to change that. He'll change it by whatever means are necessary, even if it means bringing us to our knees so that we are already in good position to pray. Sometimes men are just too arrogant to pray while they can still stand. God goes, you know what? I really, I'm good at this. I can fix this. I, I know exactly how to knock people off their feet. Just ask Paul, because I know, how to, I know how to bring you to your knees. I can jumpstart you in this whole prayer thing, I promise. He really, he knows how to do it. So that's, our, our mentality has got to shift. We've got to see prayer as air. I remember, I remember when I first 
when I first moved to Kansas City and I first started in the house of prayer there and I, I had a burning desire in my heart to, to plant a house of prayer and the Lord had spoken prophetically to me and, and within a few months of being in Kansas City, I realized something that was very challenging. I hated what was going on there. I hated, I hated night and day prayer. I hated the model. I hated sitting through prayer meetings and then the next guy would get up and sing the exact same songs as the guy before. I was in pain. This is what I'm doing. I'm raising money for it. I'm going for it. And I'm sitting there going, I don't even like this. You know what I liked? I liked meetings. I liked conferences. I liked revival services. But I didn't really like God. Because if you're going to be one that gives your life to God in prayer, you're going to be one that gives your life in prayer, you're going to have to like God. I liked events. You know, I like a lot of Christian happenings, but me and a Bible and God with guys singing the same songs over and over and over, that was just killing me. Two months in, I'm going, what am I doing? And three months in, I quit. I remember sitting in the prayer room in Kansas City just going, I'm sorry. I don't know what you said. I thought you said house of prayer. Maybe it was house of pancakes. I don't know. This is bad. Misty Edwards was on the platform and she was singing, I'm going to the mountain of myrrh. Mountain of myrrh means the mountain of death. I'm going, I'm dying. (laughs) And it it was a major turning point for me. I realized that this was not about me doing something cool for God. This was going to have to be something that just became my life. And it was a short time later that I started saying the phrase, I'm addicted to the incense. I started, I started, I'd I'd walk in the room where the the incense had been going up in night and day prayer. And I, it was like I, I could feel like my, my lungs inflating. It was like I was breathing for the first time. I'd been addicted to doing all these things for God, trying to prove myself worthy, addicted to events and platforms and, and, and all these praises of men, but I wasn't addicted to him. I, would, I remember just going, wait, you like this. You like me liking you. I started to I started to understand what he said to Mary. I started to, to, to get it. She's chosen the good part. It'll never be taken away from her. She's sitting at my feet hearing my words. So I realized, hey, this is not about how, what kind of a superhero can I be for God. This is about he has an inheritance in me. He wants me. I started getting addicted to that incense of communion with God. I started realizing I I can't live without prayer. What have I been doing all these years? I don't know. But I cannot live without, without an abiding flow of prayer. It's essential to my life. I will shrivel up and die if I'm not in continual communion. Prayer is air. I'm telling you, he's going to take the whole church there because he's not going to come back for a bride that doesn't really care about spending time with him. 
Just a thought. You're going to be married to him forever. (laughs) He probably wants to talk to you. Just a thought. (laughs) We don't talk to God very much now. Guys, we're going to be married to him forever. I tell you, you start getting... You start getting bit by this, and all of a sudden, man, woo, this thing is something. I'm talking about communion in the life of prayer. It's something that you cannot do without. When you feel him, when you don't feel him. When you feel him, it's like, oh, it's like, you know, the rush of the wind of, winds of God on your soul. When you don't feel him, it's like, oh, all I want is the rush of the winds of God on my soul. I mean, both work to drive you to him. So it's got to change in our mentalities from something we see as important to something we see as critical. It's not with the other 10 other things that are important. It's the foundational imperative. That's the term I'm using. The foundational mandatory imperative of the church. Prayer. So when that becomes our mentality, that will change our beliefs. We won't any longer see prayer as a means to an end or some chore that we've got to accomplish to sort of get God to pay our allowance. Rather than seeing prayer as a means to an end, we'll see prayer as the end in itself. And this is so important. Let me explain this to you. The discipleship of the nations ends with every demon bound, the devil himself thrown in the lake of fire, Jesus and the Father and the Bride united together in intimacy. When every demon is bound, when every, you know, uh, when the devil himself is in the lake of fire, there's going to be one thing the church has left. When all the conquests have been done, she'll have one thing left communion with God. Beloved, the end of the discipling of the nations is. A prayer life. What are we discipling them unto? Intimacy with God. What are we discipling them unto? A relationship with God. What are we discipling them unto? A prayer life. A conversation with God. The foundation is prayer. And you know what the end is? Prayer. Prayer is not a means to an end. Prayer is the end. You and God talking. That's a conversation you want to have. The one whose greatness is unsearchable, the one who is from everlasting to everlasting, he wants to spend his eternity talking with you. This is it. Prayer is the foundation and prayer is the end. Prayer is not a little salt you just sprinkle on the real work. Prayer is what we're bringing everyone to. Prayer is critical. Prayer is the end itself. I love that. It's the foundation and the desired outcome. And so then that translates into a change in our behavior. Because no longer then is prayer something we do as an event. It's a lifestyle. Prayer isn't something we just show up to, prayer meeting. Or check the box off in our quiet time. Prayer is our lifestyle. 
It's how we live every single day. We pray without ceasing. We abide in Christ. We fellowship with the Holy Spirit. You understand those phrases? Pray without ceasing, abide in Christ, and fellowship with the Holy Spirit. All of them mean the same thing. Hang out and talk to God all the time. That's it. It's what I said a few weeks ago. God came and lived on the inside of you to make it as easy as possible for you. He reduced the, dis- the distance between you and him to nothing. He said, how am I going to make it easy for us to have a conversation? He goes, oh, I'll get inside him. Takes all the guesswork out. When you're in those moments and you're like, I can't feel him, I can't see him, I don't know where he is, I'll give you a hint. Look right there. Because he's in there. He's in there. Put your hand on your stomach and say, he's in there. (laughs) That's crazy. He's in there. He's in there. He is in there. This is a lifestyle, beloved. What, What do you think sonship is about? What, what do you think being betrothed is about? This is about abiding in relationship. This is about continual communion. Prayer is air, and then we live in that place. Continually fellowshipping, abiding, flowing with God. And I said it a few weeks ago, and it's simply, the most simple way I can say to do it is this. You take every thought and you make it a conversation with him. Every thought is now a conversation. How do you pray without ceasing? You just include God in everything that's going on between your ears. God is now in there. He's in the conversation. You are praying without ceasing now. It's, It's being ever aware of his continual presence. Didn't Jesus say, Lo, I am with you always. Even to the very end, I'm, I'm always there. I love that because he's the I am, and the I am, simply, simply translated, the I am is the always. I'm always love. I'm always kind. I'm always patient. I'm always there. The I am. Always. So he's looking for always relationship because he's always there. I think one of the worst things we ever did, oh, I don't want to say it that strongly. I think we messed up when we, when we compartmentalized our relationship with God. We got people saved and we taught them to have a time when they were with God that would then propel them to the rest of their day. God never wanted us to have just a time with him. Jesus never talked about, have a time with me. He talked about, abide with me. That flies in the face of all of it. Abide. We're going to go through John 15, line by line next week. We're going to go through the first about nine verses. It is, it will, when you read John 15 nice and slow and you just work right through it, it changes your paradigm of what this thing is about in terms of our relationship with God and what prayer is supposed to be. 
He never said, have a moment with me at the beginning of your day. Though, you know what? I'm in favor of concentrated, focused moments with God. I'm totally in favor of that. But those, beloved, are they're, they're, uh, in addition to the continual flow. So do we now not do prayer events? No, we do prayer events. Do we not have corporate moments of prayer? No, we have corporate moments of prayer. Those are prescribed by the scripture, but we don't primarily see prayer as an event. We see prayer as a lifestyle and we practice it that way. Am I, am I communicating? This is a culture of prayer. We see prayer as a lifestyle and we practice it. We see prayer as the end and not a means to it. And I tell you, the believer who's flowing in a lifestyle of prayer, they will be fruitful. And that's what John 15 says. We actually become what David described in Psalm 109. I'm landing. In Psalm 109, David describes himself as one who's being persecuted, who's being talked about, is going through all manner of trials and challenges. And it's interesting how the different versions translate it. Not one of them agrees with each other. And the reason why is, for us to read it in the English, we have to add about three words in there to make sense of it. So the NKJV, for instance, it, it says it this way in Psalm 109, verse 4. He goes, in return for my love, they are my accusers, but I give myself to prayer. Now, in English, we have to add give myself to. Because in Hebrew, it's just this. In return for my love, they are my accusers, but I prayer. One verse says, I am a man of prayer. NKJV says, I give myself to prayer. But you know what it really means? I become prayer. I am prayer. I prayer. <laughs> That's the most baby way to say it, but he likes babies. He said, you must become just like a child. God, I prayer. He goes, I like that. <laughs> What's he saying? He says, All of everything in my life, all of what I'm doing, every word, every thought, every deed, every action, all of it is me and you. It's all me and you. It's all me and you. It's I prayer. Amen. I'm saying. It's I prayer. I prayer. I prayer. I'm prayer. That's how we're supposed to live. That's the culture we're supposed to be living He didn't buy you on the cross for 30 minutes in your morning or once a week on Sundays. He bought you for I prayer. For all day, every day, sonship and betrothal, intimacy, continual. That's the normative culture of Christianity. That's the normal culture. We need a massive course correction because the normal culture has relegated prayer to a few that sort of do it as the salt for what we think is the main. And I want to tell you something. He is the main thing. He's the main thing. 
And a bride who is enamored, intoxicated, focused on him as the main thing will be a bride who is completely fruitful in every other area of her life. It is the prevailing culture that the church is supposed to live so that she can fulfill the commission that he's given her. I prayer. I prayer. You know what? I so relate to that. Because there's been so many days when in the prayer room, it's just I, I've, like I've been diminished. I got nothing. I feel nothing. I got nothing. And all I know is there's a, uh, a groan in me. And some days I'll just literally curl up in a ball in the corner. And I just... Uh, and that's just all I can just, ah, uh, Jesus. That's where David was at. He goes, man, they're accusing me. They're after me because they're persecuting me. I'm giving my love and they're, they're, they're dishonoring it. He goes, I pray. Oh, man. That's the beauty of a life laid down, a life poured out. That's what he wants. A life poured out. A life that's all his. A few more quotes and we're done. (laughs) Brother Lawrence, there is not in the world a kind of life more sweet and delightful than that of a continual conversation with God. Andrew Murray, if the spiritual life be healthy, Under the full power of the Holy Spirit, praying without ceasing will be natural. Charles Spurgeon, if you want that splendid power in prayer, you must remain in loving, living, lasting, conscious, practical, abiding union with the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, I love it. This is our portion. This is our portion. To live with a culture of prayer. Beloved, to be a house of prayer. Amen. Amen. Let's stand. Oh, we love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We love you. Oh, we love you. I just want to pray for you. Listen, I battle old mentalities and old cultural practices all the time. And this has been a, this has been a continual struggle, even in my own heart, to embrace a mentality that, that places prayer in its, in its uh, proper, proper place, proper spot, to make it the preeminent thing above all others. You say, you know what, I recognize in my paradigm, my mentality, the culture that I've practiced, other thoughts, other mentalities have, have been, they've been the norm. But I want God to come and help and shift my paradigm, shift my mentality, to shift my beliefs, to 
shift my behavior so I can live my life breathing prayer live my life as one functioning in a culture of prayer you say that's me and you just say I just want the Holy Spirit to touch me and help me in this I just want to invite you forward this is what we need this is what we need competitive paradigms strongholds well-intentioned people have, have proclaimed have created strongholds so we look at prayer as the last thing we look at prayer as a weak thing you know and of course it is it's, it's, a, it's an exposition on human weakness and on the greatness of our God we're going to move from if all else fails then pray to before you do anything else pray and while you're doing everything else pray and after you're done doing it pray 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 I just want to invite several who would just come and pray in the altar with these just begin to lay hands on people asking God for encounter if you're a believer I just want to invite you forward just to begin to lay hands on folks asking the Lord to impart vision to break old paradigms just need help several have you just come so we say come Holy Spirit come Holy Spirit deliver us from mentalities that war against a culture of prayer deliver us from beliefs behaviors we want to see things through the lens of scripture we want to be the dream of Jesus heart my house should be called a house of prayer come spirit of the living God break breakthrough at least breakthrough in our minds we've seen a life of prayer is not valid break that off us God We've imagined prayer to be some kind of add-on or additional thing sort of add to the main thing. God, break it off us. I pray, God, that we would understand what you meant when you said pray without ceasing. Abide. Fellowship. When you said my house should be called a house of prayer. When you said men ought always to pray and not lose heart. When you said be devoted to prayer. God, I want to live that way. I want to live that way, Lord. I want to live that way. I want to live this way. I want to live this way, Jesus. So come, Holy Spirit, right now. Break in. Break in. Break in with light and understanding.